Okay, we're going to be talking about soil health. And this is something that's really exciting to me. Um, we are, we are in, a, in a real learning phase ourselves um, on this topic, and we're, we're very excited about it. Soil is something that it seems like it's an endless frontier. Like there is so much that you can learn with soil. Um, so yeah, like Dad said, we're very excited. Okay, we're going to talk about the basics, um, soil and plant nutrition basics, uh, and, and then six soil health principles. And um, we're, in this session, we're going to get into those six soil health principles, but we're not going to finish them. We'll, we'll finish them the, the following session after that. So the basics. Okay. Um, what makes up a good soil? An ideal soil is going to be roughly half um, minerals and organic matter. You see what the other half is? Air and water. Would you have thought of that? You don't normally <laughs> think of air and water when you think of soil, right? But, but for a good soil to function, it needs air and water. Um, we're going to talk more about that coming up. Um, so each, each of these components plays a significant role. So, you know, it's not like air and water are, are just kind of ancillary. They're just there. They, they're needed in the soil. Um, and soil health and fertility is a function of all of these components as well as a lot more, okay? So soil is not just dirt. Um, and by the way, this is kind of where conventional agriculture just kind of hones in and focuses on, right? Yes, conventional agriculture tends to focus on, uh, on the composition of, of soil. And um, we're, we're finding out that there's a lot more involved than, than just your, what the composition is. So your minerals, um, and ag again, I think traditional agriculture tends to focus on, on, on the mineral and maybe the organic content of the soil. Um, but in your, um, most all, all soils can, can be divided into three components. You have clay. This is the smallest and finest component in soil. They're, they're, you have to use an electron microscope to see a clay particle. They are, they are very, very small. Um, silt is larger, but it's... Um, uh, it's, it's still fine particles. And then you have sand. You know what sand looks like. Um, so sand are the, the, largest, the largest particles in a, in a good soil. Now, um, your soil might have uh, stuff that's bigger than sand. You know, they're, they're, some people are blessed with, with, with gravel and, and rocks and, and boulders in their fields too. <laughs> Um, Can I give a so, quick demonstration yeah. on the sizes? Yes. Okay, so 
just to, just to you know, wrap our minds around the different sizes of the soil. Uh, so let's say that clay is the size of a beet seed. Beet seed, it's pretty small. How, who can guess how big sand would be? Watermelon? Someone else say something? Okra? So if, if clay is the size of a beet seed, get this, sand would be the size of a wheelbarrow. So there's a pretty big difference there, right? Another way to demonstrate it is if you take a teaspoon of sand and spread it out flat, one layer thick, it would be about the space of a silver dollar or a quarter. I forget which one, a quarter or, I think it's a quarter. It'd be about the size of a quarter, one layer thick. If you spread a teaspoon of clay out one layer thick on the ground, guess how, how large an area it would cover? This is pretty phenomenal. It would cover an entire tennis court one layer thick of clay. Um, so it, it's just a fun little demonstration to, to see that the different sizes that you're dealing with in your, and you want to you have a good balance and mix. Yes, the, the, your ideal soil would have a, a nice mix of these three components. Um, if, you're, if you're heavy on one component and not on, on another, um, your, your soil, you know, for example, if, if you have a heavy clay soil, you're going to have drainage issues. Um, it's, it's just going to be harder to, to work with. Um, if, you have, if you have a heavy sand soil, um, you have drainage issues in the opposite way. <laughs> it just drains too easily. Doesn't hold water. Yeah. I, I visited a farmer in, in Florida, and he, he had, um, he, he had drip lines in, in his garden but it wasn't working because the, the water only, only wet just a small area around it. It wouldn't spread out. And, and so he, he finally said, I, I, I just got to change something. He added clay to his, to his garden. And he said that made a big difference. Um, but anyways, this is, this is where your minerals and, and nutrients are, is in, the, in these, these components. Um, your organic matter is composed of dead plant debris, leaves, sticks, roots, etc. It's also composed of, of dead soil creatures, um, including the, the, the microbes that have died. Um, actually, a, an amazing amount of your 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 organic matter in your soil is microbial. Um, organic matter is also composed of, of living plant material that may be in the soil, mostly roots and living creatures that are in the soil. Again, um, mostly microbes, but, it, but it, uh, that would also include, of course, things like earthworms. Um, we mentioned the, the importance of air and water. It's really important that your soil have pore spaces. Um, the, these, are, these, these spaces are essential for the air and water to move through the soil. And um, why, why do you think the air and water are important to soil? 
Any, any ideas? Okay, someone's saying there are living creatures in the soil. That is correct. Um, the, we have a lot of microbial life in the soil that is necessary for healthy soil. And um, those microbes need air and water, right? I mean, they're, they're living creatures. Um, what creates these poor spaces in the soil? You know, not every soil has poor spaces. Um, if, you, if you have sand and gravel, you know, larger material in your soil, that, that tends to help create poor spaces. Um, then you, you have the activity of, of creatures in your soil, like earthworms. Um, and even larger creatures, you know, as they're moving around in the soil, they, they open the soil up and, and, and uh, keep it aerated. I mean, even moles will do that, right? <laughs> um, and ants and other, other creatures. But um, we're going to talk quite a bit about this aggregates. Aggregates are, are, are soil, little, little soil clusters. That are, that are kind of glued together. And, and those, if you have a soil that has good aggregates, you're going to have good pore spaces. So think about it like this. You have like one or two sand pieces that are kind of glued together with a bunch of silt and kind of some clay tacked on there as well. And that some kind of organic forms material. A, yeah, an yeah. organic material mixed in. And while that is clicking, here's a fun okay. little thing with the life in the soil. Um, if you, uh, can anyone guess how much life is in a teaspoon of healthy soil? If you, were to, if you were to put it under a microscope and count those microbes, if you were to count them one every second, um, so you just like one, two, three, four, and you, so you're looking at them under the microscope and you're counting all these microbes in a teaspoon of soil. Do you know how long it would take you to count them? Well, first of all, let me tell you how many are in there. There can be easily over a billion microbes in a teaspoon of soil. That's a lot. That's a huge number. I mean, that's hard to wrap our minds around, so that's why I do it with the illustration of counting. It would take 31 years to count all of those microbes in just a teaspoon of soil. In healthy soil. One so you don't, you don't think about it usually, but you're, when you're walking on the ground, you're walking on life. Like, it's a, there's a ton of life in there. Yeah. There should be. So aggregates are, are minerals and organic matter bound together in clumps that vary in size and shape. Um, and soil aggregates are a key visible indicator of soil health. I've got a picture. Got to get the I sweet can, spot. Okay. Oh, well, now with three. <laughs> okay. We can get three it. spaces. Okay. There we go. All right. So you can see here this picture on the left. How do you, how do I put the this center one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 
Uh, it's hard, really hard to see in the light here, but this is a, a soil from the from the forest floor, and I, I think most of you have have seen soil in the forest floor, and it has it has good aggregates and and good space there. This is a soil that has been um, farmed and tilled continuously. Do you do you see any pore space here? This is, this is this soil looking up close with a microscope. And this is this soil looking up close. You can see there's, there's space and there's, there's clumps. Um, whereas here, there's hardly anything. So if you want a, a living soil, you want this. And unfortunately, our, our common farming practices have actually produced this. Yeah. And so that we're, we're, we're going to talk about how can, we, how can we change that? How can we get the, this kind of soil in our gardens in a natural way? Um, so here's some soil basics. Have you ever seen something like this? tree growing out of a rock. Did you ever wonder, how does that happen? You know, what, where is it getting its life from? From minerals? I mean, how come, how come your garden won't do that? <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we're, we're talking about soil, but our starting point with, with soil is going to be the sun. We've got to leave our solar system. Uh, or leave our planet. I mean, leave our planet, yeah, and go out into the solar system. Um, Light from the sun is what drives plant nutrition. And soil health and life on earth. You know, we really can't, um, we can't talk about soil health separate from plants. Plants and soil go together. Um, on, on what day was, was, the, was soil created? Day three? And what about plants? Day three. They go together. They were created together, and they, and they, 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 they go together. Um, you, you can't really separate one from the other. Um, so light from the sun is what drives plant nutrition, soil health, and life on, on earth. And um, in photosynthesis, the plant uses energy from the sun to convert carbon dioxide and water into sugars. And we're, we're going to call these sugars liquid carbon. The plant uses this liquid carbon to grow itself, but it has other uses for it as well. 
for, um, that relate to soil health. And we're going to talk about what's called the liquid carbon pathway. So plants take in carbon dioxide and water and then photosynthesis occurs using energy from the sun and um, the oxygen from, from that reaction that takes place in photosynthesis, oxygen is produced and, and then carbohydrates are produced. These are the, the, the liquid carbon. And a portion of this liquid carbon <clears throat> is moved from the leaves down into the roots. So what's it doing down in the roots? In the roots, it's exuded into the soil. Okay? Why is the plant exuding carbon, these sugars, into the soil? Here's an, here's an actual picture of a root tip exuding carbon. These are, we call that root exudates um, into, the, into the soil. And I want to just give uh, credit real quick. When you see these black si slides on the black background, um, these are from a gentleman by the name of Gabe Brown, and he gave us permission to use these slides. My dad and I recently went to a soil health academy where he and several of his colleagues taught on soil. So some of this is from their, their presentation um, where they have connected with scientists that have gone into a lot more research on soil and soil life and, and how plants interact with, with each other. So um, I just want to give credit to him and the Soil Health Academy. It's, an, it's a fantastic resource and Understanding Ag is their, is their larger um, organization. So those are great resources to look up for more information on, on soil and plant health. So a large, a large portion of, of the exudates that the, the plant roots um, put out into the soil is consumed by who? Microbes. This is their food source, okay? And um, in addition to that, though, part of these exudates are... Um, combine with water to form carbonic acid. And carbonic acid is a mild acid that breaks down rocks and organic matter. Can you, can you see a, a, a use in that? Um, and so in, in breaking down the, the rock or, or soil particle, the, the mineral soil particles, um, and organic matter, this carbonic acid is, is freeing up nutrients for the consumption of the microbes. So, in other words, the, those root exudates are feeding microbes in two ways. One is that they're, they're making sugar available to them, um, giving them the carbohydrates that they need. Secondly, 
they're helping to break down the, 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 the mineral soil particles and the organic matter in the soil so that um, it's in a form that the microbes can consume as well. So there, there are two, two parts to this. Um, so in the, um, right next to the roots, there's, there's a thin film of, of life. <laughs> and the, this is called the, the rhizosphere. That's the, this, you know, rhizomes are, are, that's the Latin name for root. And so the rhizosphere is this thin film of, of life that surrounds the root. And, and that's where those exudates are, are um, the exudates are going out into that rhizosphere. And that rhizosphere is, is full of microbial life, much more microbial life in the rhizosphere than in the surrounding soil. There are microbes in the surrounding soil, but, but the micro population is very heavy in the rhizosphere. Um, and we're, uh, we're just going to talk about three different kinds of microbes. You know, I, we don't want to get um, too technical and overwhelm you with, with all of this, but um, there, there are three general types of microbes that, that play a very important role in this rhizosphere. And the first one is mycorrhizal fungi. Um, these, you're going to be hearing more about mycorrhizal fungi as we go on through this presentation. They are star performers in the soil. Um, they are very key players. Um, and then the second type is called diazotrophs. These are primarily bacteria, but the diazotrophs are, are microbes that fix nitrogen from the air. And so um, Paul talked earlier about the rhizobia um, um, bacteria that, that fix nitrogen in, in legumes. They're, they have a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship with, with um, legumes in the roots and they'll, they'll actually form nodules in the roots. And they, they take nitrogen out of the air and make it available to the plant in exchange for the plant giving them liquid carbon. Um, but there are, um, these rhizobia and, and legumes are not the only um, diazotrophs. There are other diazotrophs that um, form symbiotic relationships with other kinds of non-leguminous plants. Not a lot of them, but there are a number. And, um, and then there are diazotrophs that um, are, they call them free, free living. They, they don't um, require a symbiotic relationship with plants. They, they just live free in the soil. But they, they do um, depend on that liquid carbon. Uh, so the more liquid carbon you have in the soil, you're, you're um, encouraging um, these, these free living diazotrophs, one, one species that has been, they're not, these free living ones have not been well studied yet, but one species that has probably received more attention than, than most of, the, of these kind are, are called azotobacter. 
there are, there are free living bacteria in the soil, but they, um, the more liquid carbon that's available, you, you can um, build up their population and they do fix nitrogen and make it available to the plant. And then um, you have heterotrophic bacteria. These are bacteria, uh, and it's not, not just bacteria. Heterotrophs are, are creatures that um, don't fix their own nitrogen. They rely on nitrogen from, from other sources. And, um, but they play an important role in, in, the, in the health of the soil and in the health of plants as well. So once again, this, start, this might start sounding like real scientific. You got all these scientific mi microbe names and stuff like that. The main thing that we want you to, to grasp is that there's a lot of life in the soil. And one of the biggest things that you can do is help promote that life in the soil, right? Because that life plays an important role in making nutrients available to your, to your plants. And that's why, you know, when we go... We're going to shortly go through these six principles of soil health, and this is creating a foundation so that you'll understand how those six principles create an environment for not only your plant life to grow, but for the microbes in the soil to grow, which create the foundation. Just a very basic principle here is that the, the roots and those exudates from the roots um, encourage and support these microbes. Yeah. That's, that's the very simple Summary. Yeah. Um, so, mycorrhizal fungi um, form symbiotic relationships with plant roots, and um, they they extend the reach of the plant root. So, the the mycorrhizal fungi have hyphae that that are very thin filamentous strands. That, that go out, reach out into the soil around the root. So they'll be, they will enter into the root itself and then, and then send out these hyphae. And these hyphae source water and nutrients from the soil around them. And um, these mycorrhizal fungi, actually, you can have one, one fungi that is sending out hyphae from one plant and, and connecting with another plant. And, and you can have, um, so that they, they actually form a way, a means of communication from plant to plant in the field. Yeah. Um, and, and there's some amazing research that shows that this actually takes place. So if you have this web of fungal strands in your soil, what do you think happens when you pull out the rototiller? <laughs> it's like putting, putting like putting that, you know, think of a spider web and putting it in a blender, right? It just completely completely destroys it. So um, a healthy population of mycorrhizal fungi in the soil has been shown to increase the availability of nutrients to plants. It's also been shown to um, improve drought tolerance. I'm going to show you some amazing pictures coming up on that. Um, it's been shown to increase pest and disease resistance in plants. And a healthy mycorrhizal population in the soil has been shown to speed up development of, of plants and fruits. Do you want mycorrhizal fungi in your soil? 
It also increases the quantity of, of flowers and fruits. Um, so I mentioned diazotrophs briefly already. I think I'm not going to go too much deep into that. They're, they're the symbiotic ones and like the rhizobia and the free-living ones like the azotobacter. You know, we always hear about, uh, about um, the, the rhizobia and legumes, but if you, if you want to do some fascinating research, just look up um, non-leguminous non um, nitrogen-fixing plants. There are a number out there that, that will fix nitrogen in your soil. Like I said, they're not, they're not super common, but they're, they do exist. Um, so the diazotrophs, uh, if, if you want to encourage a population of diazotrophs in your soil, um, you don't want to add synthetic nitrogen. If you add synthetic nitrogen to your soil, that's basically a signal to the, the diazotrophs that we don't need to work. Do you get that? <laughs> the nitrogen's already available, so they just, they just sit back and, and go to sleep. And they, they may, the population, if, if you continue doing that, the population of diazotrophs in your soil will decrease. Um, soil that contains excess levels of oxygen in it um, also will decrease your population of diazotrophs, your nitrogen fixers. So um, how, how would you get excess oxygen in your soil? What's one quick, easy way to do it? Till it. Till it yeah. up, yeah. Get out your rototiller. And, it, you know, and that's, that's one reason why, why farmers have plowed and tilled is because it... Um, it causes, it, it brings nitrogen into, into the soil and it causes a, a quick flourishing of, of, of life and activity. But, um, and, and so that, that can be helpful for, for that first crop that's grown there. But it's, it's, it's not helpful over the long term. So heterotrophs are organisms that, that cannot produce their own energy. Um, this category includes many bacteria and fungi, as well as nematodes, insects, mollusks, earthworms, and even animals. We're, you know, we are heterotrophs according to that category. Um, all heterotrophs require fuel that is already supplied by photosynthesis. Again, the soil that heterotrophs thrive best in is, is soil that is covered with plant materials. And um, so among heterotrophs, there are, there are both decomposers and predators and prey and aerators and um, mixers. There, there, there are a number of different functions that they play in the soil that, that is very important to the the health of a good soil. So you want a good population of heterotrophs. <laughs> Sorry, I'm wanting to... Okay, I want to show you this picture here. 
This is called the rhizophagy cycle. And um, let me get my pointer out here. This is something that we, I just learned about recently that is, kind of blew my mind. Um, did you know that, that plants actually eat microbes? Um, the, as, I, as I told you, in the rhizosphere, there's a heavy population of microbes. And plant roots will actually engulf those microbes and, and ingest them down at the, at, at the root tips. They, that's what the root tips are doing. They're, they're ingesting microbes. Those microbes enter the, the root and, and the plant strips the microbe of its cell wall. It's very interesting. It doesn't, it doesn't, kill, the, it doesn't kill the microbe, but it strips it of its, of its cell membrane. And it, it seems that that is a way that the plant gets nutrition, is from that, that cell membrane that it strips off the microbe. Um, the microbes then go into the root hairs. You know, there are, there are little fine hairs that come off the roots. Those microbes go into the root hairs, and those root hairs expel them back into the soil. And once they're expelled back into the soil, they, they regrow their cell membrane, and they, they eat, and they get nutrition, and then they're, they're, um, they're eaten again by the root. And so you have this cycle, the cycle, the rhizophagy cycle um, that's, that's going on. This is why you, this is, you know, the, the actual basis for how nutrients get from the soil into the plant. Um, it's very, very fascinating to me. <laughs> Not only that, but there. Um, this is also how plants uptake. Um, there, there's a lot of bacteria, microbes, bacteria and fungi that live inside the plant, just like we have them living inside of us. And they play a significant role in the health of the plant, um, in, in disease resistance and in, in nutrition for the plant and all of these things. These... Um, Microbes that live inside the plant are called endophytes. So there's, that's a whole, a whole nother topic, but it's very, very fascinating. And um, you want to have a good, healthy population of endophytes in your plants. So that plants that are raised in, in sterile conditions don't have endophytes. And... Um, you, if, a, if a plant has a good endophyte population, it, it'll transfer that population to its seed. There, there will be endophytes in the seed. And, and so if you, if you buy seed that has been raised in a, in a way that encourages um, life in the soil, you're going to have more endophytes in those seeds so that those seeds come to you inoculated. And... Um, you'll have healthier, healthier plants um, because they already have those endophytes built in, the population built in. So 
that was the basics of plant nutrition, the, 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 you know, how plants actually get their nutrition. And now we're going to transitioning to six principles that you can follow for soil health. And like Paul said, these principles are based on, on this information that, I just, that we just shared about how plants get their nutrition. So the, the first principle for, for soil health is minimal disturbance. And I think we should give credit again as well. These six principles come from the Understanding Ag uh, organization. They have developed these six principles. Yeah, I, know, I right? mean, they're, they are not the, the sole owners, owners of them. Of it, yeah, I, I've heard them listed other places, but that's where we, we were introduced to them. And they have, they have developed it further. Okay, so when we're talking about minimal disturbance of the soil, we are talking about minimal disturbance mechanically and chemically, okay? Mechanically and chemically. What tillage will do to soil structure? Um, as we showed in that slide previously, tillage will destroy soil structure. Tillage breaks up those, those um, mycorrhizal fungi, the hyphae, and, and it, it breaks up the, the aggregates. Um, tillage will reduce the ability of water to infiltrate into your soil because the pores have, have been um, destroyed, the pore structure. And um, it reduces, tillage reduces organic matter. Um, you know, earlier we had mentioned that, that tillage increases, it, it makes oxygen more available in the soil. And, and that, that process of making oxygen available to the soil burns up organic matter. So it's kind of like um, we have a wood stove at home that we use to heat our home. And I have a damper that, on it that I can open to, to let more oxygen in and I can close it down to, to reduce the oxygen. So if I, if I need to get a good hot fire going, I open up the damper and, and it, it lets the oxygen in and, and it, it allows the fire to heat up. But if I want to conserve my wood in the fire, um, once, it's, once it's burning nicely, I close the damper down and then, and then the, it just, it stays hot, but it, it, it doesn't burn up the wood as fast. And I have more heat coming out into my home instead of going up the chimney. Tillage is like, like operating that damper on your soil. It, it, when, you, when you plow up your ground, you, you just open it wide open and, and it heats up. And so, especially if you live in a, in a hot climate, when you till your soil, um, you're just, it's really hard to keep enough organic matter in your soil because every time you till it, it, it just evaporates, <laughs> more or less. Uh, um, tillage also uh, increases weeds. You know, in, in, in your soil, you have what, what we call a weed seed bank. 
um, these are weed seeds that have been deposited and every time the soil is turned, you know, those, those seeds are, are plowed in. And, and then, but also when, you, when the soil is turned, seeds that have been there are brought to the surface. And so that's why every time you, you plow or, or dig your garden, you, you get this flush of, of weed growth on the surface because you just brought up weed seeds that were buried. And there, there are weed seeds. I, I've read that um, lamb's quarter is a, is a common weed in a lot of places, uh, a very nutritious weed, <laughs> if you're interested in, in um, wild harvesting things. But um, it's very persistent. The, they have found lamb's quarter weeds, weed seeds that were 40 years old in the soil. Mm. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine, but there are, there are some weed seeds that, that don't die easily, and um, you, can, you can have them long buried in your soil, and when you till it, you bring them to the surface. So again, the, you know, what tillage does to your soil. We're also talking about chemical disturbance of the soil. What do you think chemicals do to the microbes in the soil? Kill them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that it's, all chemicals will not kill all microbes all the time, but, but they're not healthy to the soil just like they're not healthy for us, right? I mean, we're living creatures, they are living creatures. And, and most of these chemicals are foreign substances. They're, they're just not healthy. So um, we have um, the, the chemical disturbance can be, uh, you know, it could be something like um, glyphosate or Roundup, you know, uh, an herbicide. It could be something like a, um, a fungicide that you know, you've got a fungal disease on your plants and so you want to spray a fungicide on them, what do you think that's going to do to the fungi in your soil? It'll kill them. So, you know, you, you've got, we, we have a very, um, we're very focused sometimes in our thinking and we're not, we're not thinking big picture and uh, we, we need to think big picture because creation, the, the creation that God made is a big picture. Everything is connected to everything else. It all is intricated, interrelated and integrated in a very intricate and complex way. And um, when we start breaking that up, it, it's not good. So aggregates provide structure to the soil, they, which increases the porosity of the soil for better air and water movement, and it increases the water infiltration and retention. You want water in your soil. And um, so if you have good aggregates, the water not only enters your soil more easily, but it's retained by the soil as well. And um, a, a, a good aggregate will, because the water is able to enter your soil easily, it reduces runoff and erosion. You know, we don't, we don't want our, our good topsoil running away to the neighbors. In fact, um, 
that's, that's a, a major source of pollution. <laughs> the runoff is, and it, the chemicals that run off with the, the runoff. Um, there's a huge dead spot in the Gulf of Mexico where the Mississippi in, enters into it. It's just devoid of life because of all this um, pollution, and it's, it's mainly fertilizer pollution um, from um, nitrates and phosphates from fertilizers that, that go with runoff and enter the Mississippi and go out into the Gulf of Mexico, and they make this huge dead zone. Um, so spaces are essential for biology and water infiltration. So this is kind of a review on aggregates. So aggregates are, are, are formed, um, the plant exudates, the, those exudates help to glue the aggregates together. Um, the organic matter in the soil, the, the, the fungi and bacteria that work on the organic matter in the soil, they help to glue the, um, the aggregates together. Um, the activity of earthworms helps to form aggregates. And um, mycorrhizal fungi, again, mycorrhizal fungi are the key, the star performers in, in forming aggregates. Aggregates form around their hyphae. There's, they, they, the mycorrhizal fungi produce a substance called glomalin um, that, that is, it, it, this glomalin encases the hyphae and it seems that that glomalin plays a, a role in helping to transport the, the water and the nutrients along those hyphae. And it's a, it's a protein that's very sticky and it's very persistent. They say it can, it can persist in the soil up to 40 years before it's broken down. And, but that, that glomalin plays a key role in, in helping to, to form the aggregates. And it's part of what glues the aggregates together. Okay. <laughs> um, so in summary, mycorrhizal fungi and biology in the soil build the soil aggregates. That's how you get good aggregates if you want aggregates in your soil. And think of it this way, like I think a lot of us have the picture in our mind of a healthy soil. It's kind of like a chocolate cake crumbly structure, right? Dark, dark rich brown, chocolate cake-ish. Um, you know, that's, this is how you're going to move your soil towards that. No matter where your soil is at. When we, you, when we go through these six principles, you're going to be able to use these six principles to move say your clay soil towards a nice rich soil or your sandy soil towards a nice rich soil. Wherever your soil is at right now, you can build healthy soil on top of it using these principles. Yeah. So the, the, the aggregates are kind of like the crumb in a cake, you know, or a, or a good slice of bread. But you, don't, you don't like cakes that are heavy that don't have pore spaces, right? <laughs> It just doesn't work. As I've, as I've said, mycorrhizal fungi are, are star performers in your soil in, in plant health and nutrition and in forming these aggregates in the soil. So what can you do to increase mycorrhizal fungi in your soil? You interested in that? 
First of all, you can reduce or even better eliminate chemical usage, okay? That's your synthetic fertilizers as, as well as your, your chemicals. Yeah, pesticides, and, herbicides, any of those things that are chemical. You know, even if you're spraying it on the plant, does, uh, does all of it land on the plant? Some of it gets down into your soil, right? Or it rains on your plants, runs off down into yeah. your soil. Any of those chemicals that you use on the garden will have an impact on the biology. Secondly, you can reduce tillage or eliminate tillage. I already said the fertilizers. Uh, all right. Um, the fourth thing that you can do is keep living roots in the soil. You get that? What... What do those living roots provide to your mycorrhizal fungi? A home, basically, right? The, because the, the mycorrhizal fungi is symbiotic with the roots. It, it, it actually grows into the root. And then the, the living root also, of course, is providing those exudates, the, the, the liquid carbon, to the mycorrhizal fungi um, in return for the mycorrhizal fungi providing nutrients and, so, and, and water through the hyphae that it sources. So the, the mycorrhizal fungi extend your, your root zone, um, make it w way bigger. By the way, um, that last one, keeping living roots in the soil, that one has a double benefit uh, because, well, how many... I think a lot, oftentimes, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but oftentimes what happens with gardens? We plant in the spring, we get a glut of a harvest, right? And then it grows up in weeds and, you just, and the garden gets forgotten until the next spring, right? That's, I mean, to be honest, that happens to a lot of people, right? That, and the garden is just kind of a one-shot thing. You get all excited in the spring, you plant it, you harvest, and then... But... Um, and, you know, when it grows up in weeds, that is living roots in the soil as well. But imagine if you have that garden space, you know, by keeping living plants in that garden all year long, you're not only increasing the health of the soil, but if you are managing it and those living plants are feeding you, then you're feeding yourself from that soil all year long. So it's a double benefit. You're, you're boosting the health of your soil and you're feeding yourself boosting your own health nutritional-wise because your garden produce will always be more nutritious nutritious than the produce that you buy in the store. So it, it just has a huge benefit to keep living roots. And that goes back to those succession plantings, right? Those leapfrog plantings, getting that plan set up for your garden. Yeah. We are going to be posting the handouts for our classes. I just wanted to throw this up. And I'll throw it up at the end of each of these sessions at this website, borntogrow.net forward slash adagra. We will also probably get those, some of those handouts or at least the slides on the AdAgra website as well, but go ahead and write this one down, borntogrow.net forward slash AdAgra, A-D-A-G-R-A. Um, if you go there right now, there is the plug and play garden plan that you can download. Um, that's the only thing that's up there right now, but by the end of the day, we're going to have more resources up there. We're going to be getting our slide presentations available to you so you can download those and go review those as well. Uh, we, want to, we want to help you guys out as much as, as much as we can. Just quickly, do we have any questions? So quick recap while the mic is coming up here. Once again, we don't want you to get bogged down in thinking, oh, this is so complex. It's, we, so the simple 
the simple, simple version of what we just talked about, right, is you want to focus on that life in the soil. Make sure to do everything possible to get it to thrive, and your garden will do much better. Hi, simple question. So when you get started, what do you recommend as an effective method of weed control if we're not going to till or use chemicals or fertilizers? How do we get rid of the weeds initially, short of just pulling them out manually? Excellent which, question. Which takes forever. We're going to cover yeah, that in this next that. session, so yeah. stay tuned. I just bought some land, and um, for five years it has not been farmed. Um, it's, you're saying that tilling is not good for the soil structure, so um, instead of putting down or putting up raised beds, what should I do? Yeah, good question. You wanna... Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that in this to, next. Yeah, to some extent in the next session. So um, maybe if you, if you still have a question after that, raise it again. But I, I think we're going to cover that. How, how should I feel about grasses? I have more problem with grasses in my garden than I do weeds. Yeah, <laughs> there, there, there are some grasses the that, grasses can be a weed that too. can be a real problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, again, we're, we're going to talk about methods of, of dealing with, with weeds without having, and, and including grasses that, that don't require tilling. So, yeah, that can be, uh, I'll share with you an example in this next session, uh, specifically with grasses that... Um, had really good results. So. I have a question about crop rotation. So yesterday we learned about the soil food web and you're discussing the same principles here about that healthy soil. So when we talk about feeding the soil and crop rotation and the complexity involved, even with the tools, is there a means by which you can feed the soil adequately to minimize crop rotation or um, have other alternatives uh, depending on you know, busy schedules and things like that, just how to manage it all? So let me just recap your question real quick. Is there a way that you can feed the soil adequately? Are you asking just with crop rotation or? No, in, in place of crop rotation. Oh, in place if of you crop just, rotation. Right, so if you, because you're saying that the plants take different nutrients yes. from the soil. Yes. So can you feed the soil adequately through organic methods mm -hmm. to just make it simpler um, or to, um, does that affect crop rotation at all? Yeah. Um, I would say that there probably isn't any, okay, probably the one way that you could do it is if you were intentional about uh, multi-cropping, cropping plants together. If you look in nature, there is no place in nature where there are, where you'll find monocrops. And um, so crop rotation is basically doing multi-cropping but in a rotation. Does that make sense? Like so you're not growing the same thing in the same place all the time. Pulling those crops together and growing them in the same place together can make a difference as well and that would probably be the closest that would come to it. Otherwise I don't think that you can entirely eliminate that principle which is a principle of diversity which we'll cover in the next section. Yeah. Yes. What, do, what does minimal tillage look like on your farm? On our farm? once a year or none or you know we have we have practiced minimum tillage um, for, for years we are we are starting to experiment with and 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 try out some no-till so that's that's a new thing for us but for us minimal tillage has has meant that we will 
usually after each crop, we would, we would use a broad fork. So that, the broad fork is something that, um, that will loosen the soil. It's not turning the soil, it's just loosening it mm -hmm. to, to help get more air in. So that's, that's what we've, and, and, and then we've done um, surface cultivation with, you know. So if I kill one time a year, would I be considered minimal tillage? That, that's a kind of minimum tillage. I, I would, you know, it's, it's going to be a scale. Okay. And so I would, I would put that on the, on the heavy tillage end of the minim, of minimum tillage section. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. basically yeah. what we would consider true minimum tillage would be if you weren't actually mixing that soil. Like you're just loosening it with a fork. Yeah. Whereas a tiller actually mixes it. But it is like if you only do it once a year, it is definitely minimal comparatively. Yeah. yeah. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. The question that I have is that how does your method compare to the back to Eden method? As, uh, I don't know if you heard of Back to Eden, mm -hmm. Paul in Oregon, that he used uh, wood chippings to mm -hmm. cover his soil. So you wouldn't have to uh, do tilling. Do you comp uh, compare your method to his method or is it a different method? Yeah, I, we're, um, the Back to Eden method is, is the idea of, of covering your, your soil with wood chips. Um, I would say we, we, we encompass that method, but, but we're not limiting to that method. We, we feel that there are, there are definite advantages to that method, but I'm, I'm not convinced about using it in every situation. And um, for example, I'm, with, with annual crops, I, I'm not yet convinced about using the, the wood chip method, and particularly root crops, because when I'm, when I'm harvesting roots uh, out of the ground, um, I, I just don't see how I can keep wood chips from falling down in the, in the hole where I, where I harvested them out, unless I pull them way back away. Um, so, One other thing to note with it is, and this will encompass a principle that we'll talk about in our next session, which is called context, but um, when it comes to, for example, using a wood chip mulch, uh, it, your soil, the, the, the state that your soil is in right now will impact how effective that mulch is and, and if the mi microbes and bacteria are available to break down that mulch. So there are, there are times where that soil will not be activated and that mulch will just sit there on top and it won't break down. It won't be adding organic matter down into your soil. Um, there is an example uh, that Gabe Brown gave or one of his um, associates of a farm that started doing no-till and they ended up just getting more and more plant matter added onto their fields and it was never breaking down. It was never going back down into the soil and they had an issue where they did not have enough nitrogen in the soil already to jumpstart that process. So um, it's kind of a cool thing. What they ended up doing is they planted radishes and uh, turnips in the field that had all of this matter on it. And those radishes and turnips act as storage tanks for nitrogen. So the next spring, 
they just left the radishes out there to decompose. And as they decomposed, they released all that nitrogen into the soil. And within, I think they said within six weeks or a couple months, all of that plant matter had decomposed back down into the soil that had been sitting on there for multiple years. So it is an intelligent process. Um, you know, it's, it's not something, you, we, we, we have to, you have to work with your context and um, we're going to give you principles that you can, that you can use, you know, no, no matter where your soil's at and we'll try and make it as simple as possible for you. All right, we'll see you back at 1045. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.